The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. Please leave us a review on Apple. We want this show to get out to as many people as possible, and you leaving a review makes a difference. Also subscribe, of course, subscribe to the show. Today we are talking about a serious topic, which is preventing sexual assault. Some of this conversation might be triggering to our audience, so I want to give you a fair warning going in. We are talking about prevention, how you can train your kids to be more safe, and what to do if something did happen to your child. Our guest today is Dr. Lisa Smith. Dr. Smith is an advocate, a professor of psychology with the University of Arizona Global Campus, and also a book author. She has created books for both children and adults. You can learn more about Dr. Smith's work by going to writetoconsent.com. That is spelled with the number two, writetoconsent.com. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. Um, That's why sex offenders are so successful because they are undetected. And um, there's a lot of literature surrounding undetected sex offenders uh, because we are the ones who keep them in darkness. We might know who they are, but we will not report. And since we won't report, that leaves other children and teens vulnerable. That's why I think it's important to talk about it on this show and other shows too. Can you explain what is grooming and what does grooming look like? Sure. So most of the time when we talk about grooming, we're talking about grooming of children. And that means how do I gain a child's confidence? First, they're going to target their ch- the child. Which child is most vulnerable? Which child is doesn't receive a lot of attention, often off to the side, often by themselves, often alone? Um, which child needs attention? And attention is one of the easiest ways you can groom a child by showing them affection, giving them hugs, giving them candy, giving them um, gifts. That's one way you can show them that they're special. And then the next part is to gain their trust and then isolate them. And see, isolation and withdrawing them from the larger community, society, family is one of the ways in which you ensure Um, that secret keeping. And then the last, of course, is the secret keeping, right? How do we gain access to the child alone? And then the molestation of the body can happen. Hmm. And so that's, that's why I say that's so, um, people don't understand, we groom the family, the mother has to be comfortable leaving her child with uh, the predator alone. The family has to know and trust the offender, right? They have to invite them into the home. They have to um, uh, gain access through either siblings, right? Um, Junior sex offenders usually come by the house very often. 
And so it's a family grooming. It's not just the child or the teen. Yeah, you got to get everyone's trust. Absolutely. And so the most important thing that parents need to know is that that trust is built over time. Mm. Right. And so they have to learn the family's routine. They have to know when that child will be alone or there won't be any family members around. You know, we had this term called latchkey kids. So you're saying it could be someone that the child is known for like years, potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I worked with youth and foster care, we had health and safety questions. And one of the questions we would ask them is, has anyone asked you to keep a secret? Excellent question. Love it. Mm -hmm. But um, some some children, depending on the age, might think that the secret keeping is about a birthday. Yeah, there's a difference from a surprise and a secret, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so oftentimes we might just shape that a little by saying, um, has someone asked you to keep a secret about touching your body or Mm -hmm. um, touching you in ways that you might feel uncomfortable? Are there warning signs that families should look out for? Or how do you prevent something like this before it happens? Well, I'm going to start with the warning signs and then I'm going to move to prevention. So with warning signs, usually that child becomes withdrawn. They get depressed. They don't like to play. They don't want you touching their body. They don't want to show you their body. They um, scoot away when you try to hug them. So it's going to, you're going to see it in the body and them wanting comfort from you, right? Or then, or they'll, they'll become sullen and quiet and change their routine. Or there are those who act out completely. They scream, they yell, they they feel as if they're not being heard. They start acting out and throwing things. Um, It's like a temper tantrum, but those temper tantrums become more frequent. And so that's a way of the child saying something has happened to me. I don't might not have the words for it. And um, this is the way I'm expressing it. And, and and hopefully if you're able to ask the right questions, then I may tell you, right? When we talk about prevention, prevention is really, are we gonna be proactive or reactive? Because remember as parents, we are trying to um, keep that child safe from zero to 18 right? Um, Prevention works like this. You talk about body boundaries. There are loads of books on body boundaries. Um, And then you talk about scenarios in which a child might find themselves um, being shown porn, right? Sometimes it starts as simple as pornography being shown to a child by an adult or another child, right? And so you give them the potentiality for these scenarios. How do these, you won't find these scenarios in the children's books that we read, right? So um, I created the secret keeping books. Chad keeps a secret. Aaliyah can't tell her secret because they have scenarios in which a child says, okay, this can possibly happen to Chad. So what do I need to do? The good thing about those books is that usually it's the children solving the problem. It's the children coming up with solutions. They usually tell their friends, right? And so the most important thing is that many children may not feel comfortable 
talking to their parents or adults, they do feel comfortable talking to their friends. So that's why I make it a superhero approach where little kids can help other kids. Oftentimes, especially as an advocate and a hypnotherapist, the messages come from other little kids. They're the ones telling the story of their friends. I remember we were preparing for this interview and you talked about training a child to say like, if something happens to them, have them immediately say like, I'm telling, I'm telling. Can, can you explain that idea? Absolutely. So the most important thing is about the secret. The secret is kept from the with the child and the offender. So they need to say, no, I will not keep your secret. And I'm going to tell everyone, everyone, tell them, I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell my mom. I'm going to tell my dad. I'm going to tell my teachers. I'm going to tell everybody what you did. And so that's a deterrent. Remember, we want to deter and be more proactive. Yeah. So as soon as something starts happening, you can train your child to tell that person immediately, you know, I'm not someone you can hold a secret with. Absolutely. Or when, when their, when their body is touched in a way that they don't like, if, if, even if they swipe a hand across the butt or across the leg, I know that people sometimes touch me there. Don't touch me there. That's not for you to touch me there. And so that's what children must say. Mm. Oftentimes it can be other children though, right? Like it's not always an adult. Like is, what percent is other children? Yes. Okay. So when we look at juvenile sex offenders, these are usually older kids. We're talking about 40%, right? When we look at younger kids harming other kids, we're talking about 20%. So we're talking about one in five children may be approached from another child who most likely is experiencing this at home or has these scenarios and they're modeling the behavior they see from home, right? And so if you think about your, your development and your growing up, which child, which children, were you exposed to pornography by other children or were you, um, did, did you talk about sex with other, with older uh, cousins, right? And so that's um, one thing we want to uh, be mindful of. Another piece of this too is oftentimes those who become offenders were victimized themselves. So say you have a child that was victimized. How can you stop them from going down the path of being a potential offender in the future? That is a great question. Uh, most of the time, the way in which you can deal with this is through therapy right? A child that harms another child must understand that it's a criminal act. So when um, parents ignore the fact that their child is engaging in criminal practices, it only makes it them more vulnerable for jail, for jail time, for criminal records, right? So if you know that that wasn't your child's intent, that they were using curiosity, because oftentimes juvenile sex offenders are curious and they're using vulnerable, usually underage kids, prepubescent kids as uh, me method, methods for their curiosity, playing out their curiosity. So um, one of the main misconceptions is that because they're juvenile sex offenders, they'll grow up to be sex offenders. That's not the case. I just want to make that clear. However, 
Um, it is vital that if you, you, you're a parent and your child has done something like this, or your teen has done something to harm another child, the best thing you can do is therapy, mm -hmm. right? It's up to the parents who, where the child has been harmed to report it, but the best thing you can do and the best cases you can make is that my child is in therapy and getting the help they need so they don't harm other children. When you talk about trauma or something like you were in a car accident or something really extreme happened, they always advocate like get in therapy right away. Like don't wait a month or something like as soon as you can get in therapy. Is that true for this kind of situation too? Absolutely, right? Because you don't wanna create the model. And then you wanna look at, well, okay, how many times was my child exposed to this type of environment? right? Because they don't have the tools. They don't often have the words. They don't have the cognitive skills. So if it's addressed positively with, I'm sorry that this happened to you, I will do everything I can to make sure you're safe and I'm going to get you help and someone who can talk to, you can talk to, right? But it's not always just about just the therapy. The child needs to know, well, now that my body has been violated, how do I move on? I imagine there's a lot of feelings of shame for the child too. Absolutely. In fact, my um, academic book, especially my book for parents is called The Blaming and Shaming of Defenseless Victims in America's Rape Culture. And so not only does that child feel self-shame because they didn't tell the secret or they didn't tell anyone or their body's been violated and they felt that it was wrong, but they didn't speak up. The parents feel shame, mm. right? They feel vulnerable. They feel as if they weren't doing their job. So um, a lot of people want to blame each other, uh, but this happens This happens quite frequently. Every nine minutes, CPS confirms sexual abuse of children. Nine minutes, right? You made a huge point about shame for the parents. And what can you tell parents if, say, something did happen to your child? Like, what would be your message to them and what's your advice to them? Absolutely. So I have, I, I um, developed this theory. It's called DIS, right? D-I-I-S. You disrespect me. But this usually happens when a child or someone has been sexually assaulted. This is even in adulthood. They deny it. There's inaction. And then there's information suppression. So just throw all of that, all of that out. Don't deny it. Say, yes, this happened. Not how could this happen to my child? Yes, this happened. Don't deny it. In action, do something about it, right? Don't be the parent that does nothing, that says nothing, that doesn't even comfort, that doesn't provide solutions, suggestions, therapy. And then information suppression. You know who it was. If you suppress the information, then that means other children will be vulnerable. And this is the reason why offenders get to move from school to school or from Boy Scout, um, um, what is it called? Boy Scout leader to a new scout. I think what could I could see being hard about it is like if it's a close family member or something, part of you is maybe thinking like, I don't want to ruin their life. But really, I mean, it's, it's on them. Right. And so let's say this happens in a family and it's a father. Let's understand he's an income provider. Taking him out of the household will split up the family. There'll be family members who will um, 
uh, ostracize you and shame you and guilt you to say that couldn't have possibly happened. Why would you do this to somebody so prominent, right? If this is a deacon in the church, right? Or a pastor, right? People are going to say, you're just trying, you're just going out there for money. If this was someone who didn't come forward initially, what took you so long? Why didn't you speak up? And I tell people all the time, if someone sexually assaults you, men or women, who are you going to tell? Who would you like to know this secret, right? Who would you like to know is vulnerable enough to, to victimize you, right? So most people will not tell this, adults as well as children, they will not tell this secret because they feel helpless, because understand sex offending is about power and control. It seems like oftentimes the harder choice is the right choice, but it's still harder. It is. And, and, and many people don't want to be the poster child for this happened to my daughter, this happened to my son, right? In fact, many people want to shrink into society and hide when things like this happen. Um, and so that doesn't affect the, 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 the community as a whole, right? Because the secrets allow the sex offender to be undetected. And the longer they remain undetected, the more likely it's gonna be another child. And that may be another child that you know. Seems like it's important for parents to also get therapy then. Absolutely, right? Because they are the protector, right? God means mom to most children in the world, right? So, so, they may feel as if they've done something wrong because they could not protect their child. But understand an offender's mind. Their goal is to make you comfortable, right? Their goal is to get you to trust them. And their goal is to isolate your child from others so that the sex um, offending can happen, so that the criminality can happen, right? And the their goal is to extend it, right? There are some who've only, this only has happened once, but there are those out there who it's happened repeatedly, right? And once a parent knows and doesn't um, become more vigilant about how they're gonna expose their children, you know, people, people make fun of background checks. And nowadays you can get a background check on almost anyone. Well, this was an important conversation. And I think, as I said at the beginning, something that needs to get more airtime. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom with us. And just thank you for being here today. Thank you so very much. And again, as I said before, the secret can't be kept any longer. Everyone needs to know. Thank you, Dr. Smith. It was great getting a chance to have a conversation with you right2consent.com with the number two. Be sure to check it out. This has been the Parental Compass. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.